welcome back to Stream Again, the podcast where we try and fail to watch everything on TV. I am your um, audio centerfold, Chris Barlow, and I am joined by our centerfold coordinator, Diane Nora. How are you doing, Diane? Well, I'm great. Thrilled to be here. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, How are you? You know, I, I had an eventful day. I, this true story. I woke up this morning, uh, stepped out of my bedroom, and um, there was a pigeon in my living room sitting on the no. floor. Yes, true, true. There was a pigeon that uh, got in through a small uh, opening in a bathroom window. Uh, I have no idea when in the middle of the night the pigeon made it into my apartment. But, but when I woke up, there was a pigeon in my apartment. And the, the feeling I had, I think, was a lot like the feeling Joyce has in the TV show Minx when she walks in on her first porn shoot. And that is the show we're talking about today. It felt super relevant to me. I was like, wow, life imitates art, imitates life. I heart New York. <laughs> Truly. This is a day that was destined to happen. I know other New Yorkers who have walked in on a pigeon in their apartment. Apartment. If you do not live in New York, you do not understand the sheer terror, but also the, the fact that this is a perfectly ordinary thing that could occur to you as well, because they will get in the smallest gap. The pigeons will come for us all eventually. Yeah, I did consider the possibility maybe the pigeon had opposable thumbs and removed one of my window screens and then put it back delicately in order to uh, fool me. <laughs> We're on red alert here. I'm going to be on. I'm truly afraid to open anything at any moment now. I'm just glad that you seem to have emerged unscathed. You know, it was tense. It was real tense for a minute there. Uh, but you know what else is is tense? The world of streaming. We have so much to talk about. Uh, later in this episode, we are going to review the new HBO Max series, Minx. Uh, it is a sitcom about a porn magazine for women, kind of like Playgirl. It's basically a, a fictionalized version of Playgirl set in the 70s. Uh, I think it is super fun, but we will get to that a little bit later. This is my like, mmm, it's saucy, it's interesting, I'm dangling the, the fruits of our episode for you, dear listener. Uh, but also, if you just want to skip to that and your podcast player supports chapters, you could just, you know, skip to that chapter too if you're just, oh my gosh, so excited for Minx. Are you excited I, for Minx? <laughs> I am. It's delightful. Uh <laughs> And some really uh, great ensemble acting. And beyond just the saucy subject, I think it's a really fun show. Yeah, the saucy subject is the hook that gets you in the door, but I, I, I agree. We've got a lot of good stuff to say about it. But first, let's get to some follow-up. Uh, and an episode that we recently put out about Ukraine's Servant of the People, back in the news, that is the uh, sitcom starring current Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, about a fictional Ukrainian president played by Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, it's on Netflix again. It, it was briefly at one point on Netflix. Uh, when we reviewed the show, it was only available in the U.S. on YouTube. Uh, but Netflix, seizing the moment, uh, has it back up. Uh, no English dub, so you will need to read the subtitles, which, as we mentioned, go by fast. But I've been watching mm -hmm. more episodes, and it is really funny. Have you checked out any more of it, Diane? I'm so behind. I've been meaning to, but I haven't since I am not a native Russian speaker. I, it's a It's going to be a show that I can't multitask during, which I do when I watch almost everything that we're not reviewing. So Same. Same. That is so, the challenge. Uh, but yeah, it is, it so, is but worth But I definitely want to. Yeah, if you haven't checked it out yet, dear listener, it is both very funny and in our current world environment, 
a lot to take in because the jokes are super topical, even though the the show is about five years old. Uh, that's on Netflix. I noticed it both because I saw an article about it, but also I opened the Netflix app on my TV and it was in the spotlight position at the top of my Netflix app. They are they are happy to have it again. I mean, it's been getting a ton of buzz. I've seen a lot of folks posting clips from it online too. So uh, if you check it out, listeners, you can send us your thoughts, your feedbacks, podcast at streamageddon.com. That's the email address. But there's another show that we reviewed a little while back, uh, one near and dear to our hearts, Abbott Elementary, which has finally been renewed for season two, which I was never in doubt it would be, but it's official. It's coming back in the fall, and I can't wait. Yeah, um, I have been keeping up with that one and very excited to hear that they'll be coming back. Though, again, not surprised. Honestly, the biggest surprise there was it took them that long to announce, and it didn't take them that long, but, you know. No, but I, I honestly, I expected they would have announced it in February because it was such a hit out the gate. Uh, but they, they decided to do the slow burn, ride the buzz a little bit. Absolutely. And like serving other people, getting incredible buzz for Abbott Elementary. And uh, that is a show on ABC. ABC is owned by Disney. And that gets us to some Disney follow-up. See where we're going here. On our last episode, we talked about a really upbeat subject, which is Disney's complete inadequacy in handling their uh, political donations in Florida around the don't say gay bill in the Florida legislature. And we uh, have no interest in relitigating that today, except to add a couple points of follow-up. Disney CEO Bob Chapek, he was initially very tone-deaf, let's say, in his response, and we talked about that a lot in that episode. Uh, Moments after the episode came out, the day the episode came out, he released a memo to his employees walking back a lot of his previous positions and, you know, kind of apologizing in a corporate-y way. Uh, for not listening to, you know, his LGBTQ plus employees, let alone fans and, you know, customers, uh, in their support initially of that bill. And they've paused all political donations in Florida, which is sort of helpful, but not really whatsoever. Uh, The more interesting, I think, element to what we talk about uh, all the time here on Streamageddon is what it means for their programming, uh, their movies. And Pixar, which is currently in uh, the post-production process for Lightyear, Lightyear being the movie about the character Buzz Lightyear, not about the action figure in Toy Story, not about the Buzz Lightyear we know as a toy in Toy Story, about the character Buzz Lightyear whom the toy in Toy Story is based on in the universe of Toy Story. Do you follow me here? It's it's meta. So much depth. So much depth. Lightyear is coming out this summer, and reportedly they are adding a gay kiss to Lightyear that was originally in the movie but cut because apparently, rumor has it, Disney cuts a lot of same-sex uh, storylines and moments from the Pixar scripts. This is uh, leaks that have come out uh, in, in the course of this controversy from people who work at Pixar. They claim that they put, you know, PG, very PG, again, this is Pixar we're talking about, PG same-sex moments into their scripts, and Disney edits them out. And supposedly, they are restoring a same-sex kiss in Lightyear. And before you get too excited, no, it does not involve Buzz Lightyear. So... Too bad for me. Though so it does involve the excellent Uzo Aduba, uh, who is voice acting in 
Lightyear, which I, I didn't know she was involved I, in the project. I, I, I didn't know either. To be honest, this is the most I've learned about Lightyear since it, it was announced. So in some ways, I'm excited because I really knew nothing about the movie. Yes, I texted you this the other day. I just don't understand what these like background moments, who they're oh, trying to appeal to. Yeah, you know? I, I'm I, not excited as a member of the LGBTQ plus community about what they're trying to do there. But I am excited to learn that Uzo Aduba is in the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, always a selling point. She's outstanding. Yeah, that's about it. That's where my excitement ends. And then I go back to seething rage. I live there, too. Of course, of course. But moving on to lighter topic, we have two pieces of listener follow-up. Listener Rick, who wrote in asking whether he should watch Murderville. I have news. He watched Murderville. He loves Murderville. I wasn't sure he would because he he didn't seem to necessarily be a big improv fan. But it turns out Murderville, uh, right up his alley, and I've actually spoken to a few friends who are really enjoying Murderville, and they are definitely not people in the improv comedy scene. So if you've been intrigued by the idea of Murderville, I I guess this is the community endorsement. I loved it. I I had a really good time watching it. Check it out. I'm so happy for you that you have friends who are not in the improv comedy scene. It's really healthy. We should all be so lucky. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Another piece of listener news is from listener Allie, uh, who asked if we were planning to do any follow-ups of shows that we'd reviewed previously in which we might, you know, watch a full season or further episodes, particularly when we watched really early episodes of shows. Um, And we do. We do plan to do so um, in the next few episodes. So uh, keep listening for more news on upcoming episodes. It won't be next week, but it will be coming up fairly soon. Yeah, we're going to revisit uh, several in a single episode is the the plan so far. And uh, stay tuned to your pod feed and find out which shows and when. Tell your friends. And if there's a particular show you want us to really uh, revisit and talk about more, again, podcast at streamageddon.com. Let us know. Yeah, if you think that we were wrong about something that we reviewed early on, I would love to hear the take. Uh, we're, we're happy to jump back in. Always. Always. Some shows more than others, and I'll leave it at that. Because there's (laughs) other news to get to, so let's talk a bit about some new news. And I feel like the serious news music is really appropriate this week, because the biggest story in the streaming universe uh, as of late is the news that Netflix is testing a password-sharing fee in certain overseas markets. And this is both uh, something that sounds very dramatic and I think is in some ways getting blown out of proportion. Uh, You know, people might be thinking of it as the password-sharing apocalypse. Password-sharing get-in. Yes, yes, that's really on brand for us. I should have known. Uh, But uh, it's important to look at the details here. I've been uh, taking in more opinions, more hot takes about this, and it might not be everything you're afraid that it is. The details, as they stand now, is this is a test in three overseas markets, specifically Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. And one detail I learned is that those are markets where password sharing is a really big uh, factor, even bigger than you would expect it to be in, in the U.S., for example. And it's there are also markets where just in general video piracy is a lot bigger than it is in the U.S. So there is uh, more motivation for Netflix to maybe try a new solution there to monetize 
the the market share they do have and to crack down a little bit uh, on password sharing. But at the same time, it's not exactly a crackdown. What they're, what they're offering is if you have an existing Netflix plan and they detect that you are uh, logging in from outside the household – because this has always officially been you should not be sharing your Netflix plan outside the household. And they do not define what the household is. And we have all lived in that uh, ambiguity for many, many, many years. Uh, but if you're sharing it outside the household and they detect it, they may first try to prompt for like an authentication code, kind of like a two-factor authentication where somebody in the household receives a, an approval code that confirms you have access. And in one way, that's sort of designed to crack down on the like ex-boyfriend factor, let's say, where people are using the Netflix password of someone who they're not even you know friends with anymore let alone in the same household as uh, the other side is offering to legitimize password sharing in a way by letting people add other members outside the household uh, for $2.99 a month roughly the, the, the prices are you know uh, in relative currencies but uh, Costa Rica uses the US dollar and so we we know factually that in Costa Rica it'll be a $2.99 a month upcharge to add an outside the household user who gets their own Netflix profile. Honestly, this is really similar to something Amazon offers with Prime. I am the I, I, Amazon might consider it the spousal user or something, but I am the outside the household user on my father's Amazon Prime. I, I, I just always mm -hmm. have been. And so I have full Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime video, but if he ever cancels his Amazon Prime subscription, I have to get my own. And so in a way, there's some precedence for this. There's there's other services doing something like this. And that's the structure of it. The other element there is they've said people will eventually be able to transfer their profiles to their own Netflix accounts. So that if you, let's say, graduate out of the household, but you feel held back by the fact that the existing account has your watch history and your preferences and your, you know, algorithmic recommendations, there will be a method that you can bring that along with you. I, I don't know how much I would personally care about keeping any of that because I don't necessarily find the Netflix algorithm super helpful in showing me new content but other people oh. i might might have a lot more success with that than i do let me put it that way as someone a little messy who lives for drama i like that for our listeners who may be netflix viewers get your ex off of your account <laughs> they it's time for them to shell out that monthly fee on their own you know they can afford it or they can get they can do it with their new their new significant other their new roommate or just a series of coworkers the again the household is an extremely ill defined concept and this i think is to if it's a crackdown in any way it's a crackdown on egregious password sharing and sure. a test to see i think how many people would be willing to say oh yeah my my child who is you know 28 yeah they they don't live in the house anymore they should have their own profile and I'll pay $3 a month for them to have their own profile. Sure. In case my father, who is the uh, owner of our Netflix account, is listening, um, don't kick me off the account, please. <laughs> yeah, please. Nobody. We're not encouraging this. It's, again, this is only in three overseas markets. There is no rush to judgment here. 
we want to stay on our respective Netflix accounts for as long as humanly possible. And if they do make this fee mandatory, fine, I'll Venmo you three bucks a month, mom. In a way, it's a good deal. deal. If you look Mm -hmm. at it that way, in a way, it's a pretty good deal. So we'll see where that goes. I think there was a lot of press about that. There were a lot of headlines about that, a lot of chatter on Twitter. But at the end of the day, it's an experiment for sure. And Netflix has framed it that way. They're not promising to bring this to any other markets. Uh, But it is interesting to see them experimenting with that because as we know from previous news stories, their subscriber growth, especially in North America, has stalled out big time. And they're looking at how they can continue to grow revenue. They just raised prices, as we talked about way back in episode one. Uh, And what does that mean for continuing to grow both revenue and subscriber numbers? Because if they can count these sub-accounts as additional subscribers, that also Mm -hmm. could be beneficial to Netflix in the, the, let's say, the Wall Street sense. Sure. And I mean, they're producing, what, we said 87 films this year? So they're going to need this. 94,000 films this year. Half of them star Ryan Reynolds. And, you know, they come out every 12 minutes. Something's got to pay for all of Ryan's shoots. All of Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) But, you know, speaking of Netflix news and uh, one of the many, many, many Netflix productions coming out this year, great little headline I caught as a lover of the 90s Addams Family movies. I did not know that Netflix is rebooting the Adams Family because we must reboot everything always. And it's specifically they're rebooting it with a focus on Wednesday Adams, the daughter. And so they have a show coming up called Wednesday. Great title, guys. And they just announced Christina Ricci, the one true Wednesday Adams, will be joining the cast as a yet unnamed character who is not Wednesday Adams, and they did go out of the way to confirm she is also not a future or older Wednesday Adams. So just get all those like time travel plots. Just put, forget it. That's not what they're doing. This is some other character. It's more of a spiritual nod to Wednesday of yore. Uh, what I also didn't know is Catherine Zeta Jones is playing uh, Morticia. I, I, the, the cast looks stacked all of a sudden. It does, and Tim Burton is going to be directing. Oh, yeah, and I buried the lead. It's a Tim Burton production. I, I had no idea. I, I'm afraid to get my hopes up too high because uh, Netflix originals often promise a lot and don't always deliver it. But man, this is promising everything that I want in an Adams Family reboot. Yeah, and I think they have had some luck with the sort of nostalgia products like thinking of something like cobra kai isn't that netflix it is now it was originally it was youtube YouTube. yeah (laughs) strange journey but they've also they realized the value of that they saw the the nostalgia potential the the success of cobra kai so i think you're on to something there yeah and um i mean christina ricci was always a really strong performer but i think has just grown into such a fine actress and i yeah i'm definitely excited for this yeah and as um many people have said she's in her kind of of Christina Ricci renaissance uh, with the success of Yellow Jackets, where she is mm-hmm. amazing and terrifying. So I think this is a perfect project for her. And uh, I don't know how large her role will be. I guess she's uh, replacing a character that they had Thora Birch in, another 90s kid throwback. But that's enough to get me to tune in. Yeah, you know, much love to Thora Birch. This is maybe the best thing that could have happened to this show in terms of my excitement level. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of excitement, Nothing gets me excited like mergers and acquisitions. 
And the biggest merger and acquisition of them all in the streaming universe is about a month away from completion. It is the discovery acquisition of Warner, prying Warner from the weird clutches of AT&T, which never, ever should have tried to own a streaming giant to begin with. What a, what a weird delusional time we will look back on and we'll be like, remember when the cell phone companies all tried to own media and movie companies because they thought that that would make us buy more phone plans? Yeah, it is really a bizarre moment, but I'm glad that things are panning out the way they are, or at least I'm optimistic. Well, yeah, I'm like, things are panning out in that everything's consolidating into a few large media monopolies. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. But I am optimistic about uh, Discovery Warner or Warner Brothers Discovery, whichever, you know, combo name they settled on, uh, because they have announced their CFO, the sexiest position at any corporation, has announced that eventually, eventually, long after the merger is complete, they do envision Discovery and HBO Max as a single massive blockbuster streaming service that you will just have to own because it will have too many things. HBO Max is already essential in my book. So, uh, you know, if I'm getting more along with it, more for me, more money, I guarantee you. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but but it is in contrast to like the Disney style where Disney will offer you the Disney Hulu ESPN bundle. plus bundle, but they are individual streaming services with individual apps and interfaces that you have to navigate and know which show is where and what's what to, to just confidently say, no, we're going to have one app, one service, all the content will be there. It'll probably have a crazy layout because if HBO Max's app has been any guide, it's going to kind of be a hot mess for a while. Uh, But they've also had an opportunity to learn from the launches of both Discovery Now and HBO Max. So you would hope that they are going to implement some smart decisions as they merge them. And that's going to take a while. They said at first they'll probably offer some kind of bundle and keep them independent while they work on what a combination looks like. But the long-term strategy is one juggernaut streaming service. And I think that is the right call because people are hitting that moment where they feel like they have too many streaming services. There's they, They're confusing. They're all over the place. They're all different. They all have different interfaces and apps and organizational you know, systems. You don't know how to navigate them. You don't know how to find the thing you want. You don't know where the show you last watched is hiding in the massive grid of tiles. And to just say like, okay, listen. There's at least going to be a ton of stuff in this one place where you know, even if you want to flip between House Hunters and Succession, you'll be able to find them together. And as shows keep moving between apps, I think that's going to be even more helpful to have, you know, fewer, larger bundles. Yes, monopolies and consolidation, the best thing for consumers. I've always said the best thing for consumers, monopolies and consolidation. No, just let's just have AT&T buy Maybe AT and T should one yeah. mega AT and T app. Yeah, we sh- you're, you're right. That's actually the end game here. Is Verizon swoops in and buys them all again and combines <laughs> them with AOL and Tumblr, and finally <laughs> we'll have what we always wanted. But speaking of consolidation and mergers, I'm going to just leave that dark thought in the past. Uh, MGM and Amazon. MGM and Amazon. Two things that go together like peanut butter and gravel. Uh, they are finally. United, because the regulators have said, we're not interested in challenging this. It's not a big enough deal because MGM isn't that big of a deal anymore. It's kind of a, a 
shade at MGM, but you know what? Good good for MGM to to get acquired by a hot tech company. They had a strong century. Yeah, they had they had a good run, and now they can be something that's in another tab next to where you buy toilet paper. Wow. Great move for them. Great move. I did want to talk about uh, MGM. All the buzz around this acquisition has been James Bond, because MGM has James Bond. But if you're not, you know, steeped in this, you might not know that Amazon cannot turn around and just greenlight a James Bond TV series, because James Bond has different rights uh, locked up with the Broccoli family. This is a family whose name is the Broccoli family. I, oh, uh-huh. I know my Barbara Broccoli. Uh-huh. And uh, they have the right to approve or, you know, uh, veto any James Bond project. And that is what has kept James Bond so good over all these years, I guess. I kind of liked the newest one, but <laughs> I think it might have just been me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they're there. It's fine. Uh, but that that means that we are not expecting, you know, a sudden shift in the James Bond universe. So instead, I wanted to just go over what are some of the properties that MGM does have that Amazon is acquiring? Because Amazon has openly said, like, sure, there's the catalog here. And they're excited to add a bunch of MGM stuff to their catalog on Prime. Uh, and great, great. More content on Prime, the ugliest streaming app of them all. Great. Uh, it'll give me a reason to get frustrated browsing that app again. Love it, love it. But what Amazon is really interested in is the IP for reboots and new uh, new projects. And so I just want to imagine what they're going to reboot from some of the great MGM films like Basic Instinct. So how about a Basic Instinct reboot? Sure, sure, okay. Legally Blonde. I would absolutely watch the Legally Blonde series you could green light that tomorrow and I would watch every episode no matter how blasphemous and Reese Witherspoon free it is. Uh, although I bet they could get Reese to come in as like a, a you know, again, kind of like a Wednesday Adams situation, a cameo, a tip of the hat to the new Legally Blonde generation, right? Right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Bruiser, the dog. Oh, the dog. The a, dog. Oh, yeah. A Bruiser Wood spinoff. I would, uh-huh. Unfortunately, I'm the person who would watch that. And they could even aim that towards kids as like a Paw Patrol competitor, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know, Paw Patrol, they do the, the justice on the streets. They're the cops. And then Bruiser and his friends, they are kind of the order side, like law and order. You've got Paw Patrol as the cops, and you've got the Bruiser who enforces the, the law in court. I love this. Oh, Greenlight I, it now. Oh, man. I feel like I'm at a pitch right now. You know, MGM also has RoboCop, and I guess RoboCop is always timely. RoboCop now could be about those Boston Dynamics robot dogs that roam the streets, those scary robot dogs that the police have. I hate those robot dogs. I I mean, I've never seen one in person. I hate the idea of them. I I would love to watch them in a show. Yeah, and RoboCop is so good. I actually rewatch RoboCop. It really holds up. Uh, So, you know, that's just a few of the things you could look forward to in the new universe of MGM on Amazon. Please, Amazon, feel free to call me. I can pitch a dozen more to you anytime. Jeff Bezos as a RoboCop villain. He already is. When? (laughs) He already is. Uh, But, you know, that's what's going on in the world of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I feel like we have to round out the new news with a visit to our, our favorite streaming service, the streaming service that we peacock the most. Peacock. Peacock. 
uh, you know, we Peacock Peacock here on Streamageddon, and that's why I was excited to receive an email from Peacock, because as a Peacock subscriber, I receive emails from them, and I'm too lazy to unsubscribe. Or I, I should say, it is my solemn duty to receive the emails from them and report them back to you, dear listener. That is the truth. Uh, and they emailed me to let me know that they have some new channels. Because one of the interesting things about Peacock is in addition to on-demand programming, they have channels where you can somehow deepen their app. These are not actually super easy to find when you're browsing their app. You, you can tune into something that feels like live TV, like you feels like you're channel surfing through cable, but it's just one endless stream of programming that they've just you know, put together in a channel, a feed, if you will. Mm. And so they wanted to announce some new channels they've added, and I thought these were just interesting. They have a new SNL Vault channel, and that makes perfect sense to me. It's basically like just a, a an endless YouTube playlist of SNL sketches. They looked at YouTube, I think, and they went, why are we not doing that? Why are we not making the ad revenue that YouTube is making on our content? Yeah, no, that makes complete sense to me. And it's all, it also operates as an ad for SNL. You know, watching and, and, SNL. And as we talked about uh, last episode, the Peacock Apocalypse is coming. They're pulling their shows from Hulu. NBC is pulling out of next day airing on Hulu in order to drive that traffic to Peacock. And so starting in the fall season, if you want to watch SNL on Sunday or Monday, it's going to be on Peacock, not on Hulu. So I, I do think, you know, this was... Uh, timed very cleverly to get me thinking about SNL and Peacock as two birds of a feather, if you will. Uh, but that's not the only new channel they wanted me to know about. They also wanted me to know that they have a Focus Features channel called Focus 20. That's kind of just like, a, it made me think of Turner Classic Movies, which is a real cable channel my mom would watch. But this is just, what if it was only movies made by Focus Features back to back to back to back? And it made me go, number one, oh, right, Focus Features is owned by Universal, which is NBC. And right, okay. And number two, I don't think I can name a single movie that I confidently know is a Focus Feature. No. God, I, I'm drawing a blank. Yep. Total blank. I guess I will have to tune into the Focus 20 channel to find out. That's that's some intrigue right there. The other one that I saw that I will not be tuning into is Psych 24-7, a channel that is nothing but episodes of the TV show Psych, which has been on TV long enough that they can fill that. They can fill an endless 24-7 stream of Psych. Psych is one of those strange shows that people are surprising fans of Psych. I know a oh. lot of young people who really like Psych. I'm like, how did this never come up in our day to day? There are three Spike or Psych uh, made for TV movies, yes. apparently. Yes, I um, I know this because I dated one of those people, and and it was in the middle of sitting through an episode of Psych with this person that I I realized it wasn't going to work out. <laughs> Streaming compatibility it's is real. among the most important things. Well, another channel that you can watch on Peacock is Dateline 24-7, nonstop episodes of Dateline. And that reminds me of a one more news story we have about NBC and Peacock. The, the thing about Pam, the thing about the thing about Pam is that it is a new TV show starring Renee Zellweger, who is in her TV debut. She's never been in a, a TV show before. And it is based on a podcast that is based on an episode of Dateline. And the podcast was produced by Dateline. So this is a Dateline product. Dateline, the 
sort of true crime investigative journalism show. Like, I remember Dateline in the 90s being, like, kind of the 60 minutes of NBC, like a serious news magazine on TV. And at some point in the last, like, 25 years, it kind of turned into a more of a trashy true crime show. But I'm a big fan of those. As somebody who has watched endless episodes of Snapped, the show about women who snap, I'm a big fan of that genre. Uh, What's interesting to me is they've pivoted that genre, first pivoted it to podcasting, because of course everyone pivots to podcasting at some point. And then they went, no, you know what this really should be? It should be a fictional show based on a real event starring Renee Zellweger in a kind of ugly fat suit. Yeah, the the fat suit is unfortunate, but Renee Zellweger is a great actor, so And 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 she's getting rave reviews because our our latest news about Peacock is that the thing about Pam is the top digital premiere on Peacock for any NBC show through its first 7 days on a streaming service. It is a legitimate hit. You know, I wouldn't have guessed it. But I've had several friends come up to me and mention that they're watching. So with that in mind, we will be letting you know what the thing about the thing about Pam is uh, in our next episode when we review the thing about Pam. We're going to find out what the things are and why Pam is all about them (laughs) on the thing about the thing about Pam coming soon to a podcast feed near you. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious, too. But you know something else I'm curious about, Diane? I'm curious, Mm. uh, before we get to our main review, uh, are you watching anything else right now? What's in your streaming queue at the moment? Yeah, uh, so I um, have been watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the Amy Sherman Palladino show, um, since season one. They recently wrapped up season four, but I'm in the middle of it. They did a weird episode drop format where they did two episodes a week on Fridays, rather than usually they drop a whole season at once. I am certainly enjoying the show still like there are certain plot lines that I've just become invested in so I'm still watching it and it has that Gilmore Girls quality um Amy Sherman Palladino also created the Gilmore Girls uh where they talk fast and it's clever lots of fun pop culture references but also that Gilmore Girls quality where as the seasons progress some of that chatter can be a little bit schmaltzy a little bit tedious, perhaps, but still has a lot of charm. So I'm enjoying it. Mostly I'm still watching because of Luke Kirby, uh, who plays Lenny Bruce. Uh, he's just really, really great in this role. I didn't know him before that, but anytime he's on, I'm very invested. So I'm watching it. I may be the, the only one still watching, but, but I'm hooked. I was going to say, I am I am not on the Maisel bandwagon anymore. But one of the things that you remind me is I do, do enjoy that they engage real historical figures in the show. I, I'm always kind of intrigued with uh, stories that take a fictional protagonist and then bump them up against real people who you know from from pop culture, from history. And mm. so I'm I'm uh, kind of happy to hear that Lenny Bruce is the the main attraction in some ways. Yeah, I mean I I think he's I think he's quite popular with a lot of viewers, partially because this performance is just really excellent. What about you, Chris? What what are you watching these days? Oh boy, I I also in a way feel like I'm the only person in the world watching Picard, the Star Trek spin-off about Picard. Uh, which is in its second season on Paramount+. Plus. I, I am admittedly a big Star Trek The Next Generation fan. That That is the one I grew up on. And uh, I, I love Patrick Stewart. I've seen Patrick Stewart in many things. I've seen him on Broadway. He is 
a dynamic performer in any role they put him in. And Picard seems like an attempt to give him a little meatier role in the Star Trek universe where there's a little more of a serialized story with higher stakes. Not not to say that Star Trek was low stakes in some ways, especially when they get to the movies and things. There, there's, there's big stakes there. But Star Trek was always more formulaic. And, and personally, that's what I love about it. It's comfort food for me. Uh, Picard is a little more serialized and gritty, the way everything must be serialized and gritty now. But I do enjoy it more than Star Trek Discovery, which is the, the current like flagship Star Trek series, which I... I, I find very morose and maudlin and all the emotions set to 11 at all times. Like, set emotions from stun to kill is the tone of Star Trek Discovery uh, to a point where, like, all the dramatic twists no longer feel very dramatic because everything is at that level. And at least Picard has familiar faces who you have more history with and a little more, you know, he's old. The whole plot is he's old. <laughs> he's old now. And so he's looking back on life and trying to save the universe one last time. And there, there is a little more depth and nuance to that. And, and at the very least, there's also the thrill of seeing characters who you used to know. It, P- Picard is there. In case you weren't aware, Picard is in Picard. They brought back Whoopi Goldberg for a, a guest spot in the premiere of season two for truly like five whole minutes. And I, I hope we see her again. But also, I, I have a feeling that it, that's it. We got the five minutes of Whoopi and that's what we get. And and then Jerry Ryan from Star Trek Voyager, who's a great, she's just a great actress. She, she plays uh, a Borg who has been reclaimed who is human again but still somewhat borg and they they give her some really fun stuff to do this season uh and um three episodes in i want to say it's it's airing weekly i think weekly is probably the right format for that although i kind of am intrigued by that two episode a week idea because i often want to watch more than one I don't want to watch yeah. them all at once. I, I do not want to binge many things right now. But I do like the idea of two at a time. I'm a binger, but I get it that I also have a weird schedule. So, you know, yeah. everyone has their thing. I understand why the why the apps are not making that decision. I mean, the apps themselves are the deciding apps, how The app they... <laughs> makes the decision. Yes, it, it decides. The streaming services, I get why the they're making The executives are sitting around a table going, what do you mean it's releasing two a week? Who decided that? And they're like, the app. They hold up the, the tablet and they're like, the app decided it for us. Honestly, sometimes when I'm using the HBO Max app, it is like, oh, I, I guess I'm watching this because it keeps putting it on. <laughs> like, that's it. Uh, well, you know, speaking of the HBO Max app, uh, there's a great show that you can watch on the HBO Max app. And I, I think we should talk about it right now. Uh, and it's called Minx. In case you weren't aware, it's set in the 70s. It so is. Oh my gosh, these 70s costumes are such a vibe. I'm obsessed. I literally described them to somebody today as a, it looks like a, a 70s Hall- Halloween party. Like the theme of the Halloween party is dresses the 70s and everyone has taken it to the nth degree. And, in, and it works. It doesn't feel campy except in the way that it's absolutely supposed to feel campy, but it doesn't feel over the top, except in the way that it's absolutely supposed to feel over the top. It is hitting it exactly where it should. You know what I mean? I do, and how apt for the show. 
right? Mm. Uh, if you have not heard of this show, it, it for me popped up very suddenly. Suddenly, I'm seeing ads for it everywhere on uh, the bus shelters and the uh, Wi-Fi kiosks that have the the obelisks that have ads on them around the street. Uh, but until a week ago, I had it was totally not on my radar. Uh, and it did just premiere, so I think they're ramping up the promotion really fast. But it's about a woman named Joyce who has a dream in, I want to say, 1971 of launching a feminist magazine called The Matriarchy Awakens. And she has been, you know, kind of self-producing, not publishing it, because this is a time where to publish a magazine, you need like a printing press and you need hundreds of thousands of dollars to print issues. But she's been collaging and putting together and writing the articles and pitching this magazine since she was a child. So she has like a bedroom full of snippets and things. She's, it's a labor of love to say the least. And now she's an adult and she is trying to pitch it to publishers because she thinks now is the moment for a feminist magazine that speaks about real feminist issues. Yeah, I I love her passion for this project. It She has that almost Sorkin character, uh, singular passion going for That's her. That's a good way to describe it. You know, it, that yeah. like obsessive quality, which is fun. I feel like we don't get as many female characters with those. You know, you see a lot of these like difficult male protagonists with their one genius idea, but we don't always get those from the women characters. So I'm, I find Joyce very relatable. And of course, the matriarchy awakens is not the magazine that this show winds she up. She gets to publish. On. No, because the problem, as they lay out real quickly in the pilot, what one thing I, I will say I love about this show is it's a thirty-minute sitcom, it, not not a network sitcom. It is a full thirty minutes uh, HBO style, but because of that, it moves fast. It's got a great pace, and it doesn't waste a lot of time. So right away in the pilot, we see Joyce at a magazine publisher's convention. She's paid to go to this convention where you get to pitch your magazine to publishers for three minutes and her pitch is terrible in a quick montage they establish how tone deaf her pitch is and how passionate she is about her idea but also how much she has no idea how it's being received by the men publishers Mm -hmm. she's pitching it to yeah and she is not really interested at all in adjusting her tone <laughs> nope. or, um, you know, smiling op- for their approval. Which, not open to again, feedback. <laughs> satisfying yeah. as, you know, as, as a woman viewer, I'm like, yeah, you yeah. know. And, and in many but, ways, she's right. The things she's saying are true. And you feel for her in, in that you see these men reacting in a really unsurprising, paternalistic, chauvinistic way. But also, she is not playing the game. She is not doing this smart. She walks in and she uh, asks, she shows a bunch of covers of popular women's magazines and asks them, like, what do these all have in common? And the men are like, well, these are the popular ones. My wife loves them. My daughter loves them. And, you know, Troy says, well, no, they're all wrong. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you're you're not you're not wrong, Joyce, but also that's the wrong pitch. Right. And then she has the good fortune, I suppose, to meet Doug, uh, who is a, a publisher of smut. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Pick your word, porn. He's a porn publisher. Uh, yeah. he has many magazines under his belt. We we get some glimpse into a variety of really hilarious porn titles. I can't remember I, I... any of them off the top of my head cuz there are many other things that distracted me later in the episode to say the least. I think there was something about the bottom dollar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely something involving milk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, But Jake Johnson, who plays Doug, um, is really outstanding in this role. Just um, dynamic and funny and um, has a certain smolder, too. I think that their chemistry between Joyce and Doug, as much as a lot of this does feel fresh and new to me, is like such a classic sitcom partnership. You know, you have the like down to earth, but slightly seedy guy. And then uh, the counterpart being Joyce, who is smart, but almost too smart for her own good. Yes. It's classic odd couple to me. Right. Or even like Beverly Hillbillies, (laughs) where like the the smart people are, you know, just like constantly getting themselves into these, you know, ridiculous fights that like the, the plain talking folk can help them out of. It's very satisfying. It is. And and it has the promise of being satisfying over and over again. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a difference between a pairing that might be satisfying for a movie or for a a limited series where you can see the beginning and end of the arc right at the beginning. And here you see how they will constantly butt up against each other and improve each other in a way. But also they are both so diametrically opposite that they're they're not gonna like reconcile and become best of friends. They're partners. They're each compromising their vision for each other. Doug sees an opportunity. He sees that the women's liberation movement is gaining steam. He sees that there's a whole 50% of the market that he currently is not tapping into as a smut publisher because the they're women and they're not buying milk jugs weekly or whatever it is that he publishes. They, they, they don't want that. And they might want something that is in his wheelhouse, which comes up sort of just as a throwaway line in, in their first encounter. Uh, he, he wants to hear Joyce's pitch. She's not interested in delivering it. And she casually throws out, you know, uh, she's accusing him of, you know, being a, a chauvinist, of being somebody who objectifies women. And she says, you know, what I think you should do is you, would you publish a magazine full of dicks? And he's like, that's an idea. Not mm. a, not immediately does he kind of click with that, but he finds a copy. She drops a copy of her pitch magazine, and he picks it up, and then shows up at her office weeks later to reveal to her through a, a truly offensive and hilarious conversation over a lunch where he is describing a Vietnam War themed photo shoot where they dropped the film in like the rice paddy and had to send somebody out to buy more film and the the female models were complaining or in his words were bitching like they do and he gave them Joyce's magazine to read and they loved it and it, mm. it, that combination of not just him going, oh, you're right, dicks might sell magazines, but also they did like your articles. And the problem is you need the candy to get them in the door. And the candy is a, a fireman's dick. I think he uses the, the metaphor of um, putting peanut butter around a dog yes. treat. <laughs> Which I thought or like was a so dog's good. medicine. Yes. So that <laughs> it's, you know, very relatable. I I like, too, that uh, while they do have this sort of classic banter, because it is HBO and we have that that slightly gritty edge, they're both flawed. You know, Um, they go to some kind of ugly places with them. Um, You know, Doug is kind of a Uh dirtbag. He does objectify women. He is, you know, thinking always of his bottom line um, and 
Joyce is kind of a snob. Um, she's accidentally racist. She's unaware of her own privilege in a lot of ways. So I think that there is a possibility that they do improve each other over the course yeah. of the series. But I also think that, you know, they, they might not. <laughs> they might bring out the worst in each other. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious to see the trajectory of, of their relationship. Yeah, and that is I, I, that is a great set up for a series where where you can see that they may improve each other you want them to improve each other you are rooting for them and at the same time you can watch them make mistakes over and over and over again and that's also intriguing and exciting yeah i know there's also the possibility of of a setup of a will they won't they i could see that i don't want them to go there anytime soon no no, me neither. But hopefully the show has a lot of longevity. And I could definitely see if they want to mature their relationship, if they want them to change and grow as characters, I could see that as a logical end point. And if they get there naturally, uh, it would be a lot. Uh, maybe. Know, it would be hard That's to pull a, off. Right. I'm like, right now, no, do not do that in next week's episode, please. But I, there's enough magnetism between them, their performances, their chemistry, that I could, I, you know, you want to see them do more things together. That's a fair way to put it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's also a great ensemble of supporting characters. Uh, Jessica Lowe is Bambi, um, who is one of the other, I think her role at Minx is... Um, centerfold coordinator. Centerfold She's coordinator. She's the centerfold coordinator, which she then reveals is only like a two-day-a-month job. She's she's a model for uh, Doug's other magazines, mm. and she joins Minx as the centerfold coordinator, which is an important job because they are going to have one of the first nude male centerfolds of all time. And, you know, spoiler alert, Joyce is not up to the task of picking that. <laughs> There's some, some line where Joyce is saying, does it need to be so large or so erect? Maybe that's threatening. Maybe it should be more tucked behind a pillow. <laughs> so, yeah, Bambi serves an important role here. We need a confident centerfold coordinator who knows what the centerfold should look like. Uh, but she's also... A model, and you can see that already in two episodes, she wants to be more than a model. She is intrigued and excited by taking on a role of responsibility and about the mission of Minx. You can see it beginning to change her interactions on set in the second episode. Uh, and so that's also one where it's like she could be a throwaway character, but they've made it really clear that she is not going to be tossed aside, that she is core to the the ensemble. Yeah, and the fact that they didn't go to a super easy place with the jokes about Bambi. I mean, there are some, like, she's, a, you know, can be, like, a little lovably obtuse and ditzy. But she's obviously got more to her, and that's something that made me go, oh, okay, I'll keep watching. And I think uh, the performance is really strong. Yeah, she's great. I don't really know much uh, of Jessica Lowe's other work, but I've been watching uh, Miracle Workers, which was a TBS show that's now also on HBO Max, and she pops up in the second season of Miracle Workers, uh, maybe in the first, but I, I, I'm, I'm surfing through that show. I'm just picking and choosing episodes to get the vibe. And she popped up, and I was like, oh my god, it's Bambi! I love Bambi! Yeah, she's definitely a standout in those first two episodes. Um, along with, you know who else I loved? Um, Lennon Parham. Is that how you say her last name? I, she's I, I always assume it's Lennon Parham, but that's Parham, because I, yeah. I want to read things and enunciate every letter of everything. It's not necessarily correct. 
she plays Shelly, who is Joyce's sister, uh, who is just hysterical. Um, yeah, she's great. And and helps uh, helps give Joyce a place to uh, bounce off her feelings and, and her, her character arc that's outside of Doug, that's outside of the Minx cast, because the, the rest of the core ensemble is all at the magazine. It's all at Minx. They're all in the office, basically. And I think it's really important that we be able to see Joyce with someone else she trusts, someone who she feels comfortable with. Uh, because she definitely does not feel comfortable uh, around the porn industry, to say the least. And it also, I think, is really important that that person she feels comfortable with is not a boyfriend or a husband. It, it, and they, they dispatch of a boyfriend right away in the pilot. They they make it clear that that's not the, the direction we're going to go in her personal life right now. And I think it's great that it's a sister, but it's a sister who's not judgy. It's a sister who is... Uh, sassy and fun and smart she's savvy and she's taken a more conventional route in her life she's a wife she uh you know uh, is a member of the country club which joyce is at least temporarily a member of too until the end of the second episode uh she she's in that world but she's not uh she's not a stepford wife to to put it one way she's uh, an intelligent woman who just sees that Joyce maybe is a little too uh, rigid in her uh, desires and should be a little more flexible and a little more open to change. Yeah, I completely agree. And the last thing that I think anyone would want to watch is some male character instructing Joyce that she's too rigid in her sexuality. Like that would uh-huh. just, <laughs> that doesn't sound like the f- fun flirty show that we're watching. <laughs> nope. Um, but, but coming from, from this surprising figure, it's really refreshing and interesting. And, and she's really, you know, very sex positive Shelly. So, um, you know, they, they continue to subvert your expectations of their characters, which I really enjoy. Yeah. I also am a big fan of uh, Richie, the photographer for the magazine, uh, played by Oscar Montoya. And they they set that up real quickly that he's the only one who would shoot the dicks, that the existing porn photographers that Doug has all refused to shoot the male nudity. And, And they do not have to say much about why, because Richie is flamboyantly gay in a fabulous 70s pre-AIDS way that is also a great window into a really different time in the gay community. Like, I'm, I'm looking forward to them building out his character a bit more because we don't see a lot of stories about being gay in that era. Yeah, and um, another just really fun dynamic performance. Yeah. It, this cast bounces off each other really well. Yeah, and they they do a good job. You know, they have to establish them all in the pilot, which they do, I'd say, a very competent job of establishing a big ensemble pretty quickly in a 35-minute pilot. But I think what's really smart is in the second episode, they give them all an outing, essentially, together. They all go to the country club to try and court an advertiser who happens to be the, the president of the country club. And they don't just send Joyce and Doug. They send Joyce and Doug and Bambi and Richie and uh, Shelly. They're all there. And so you get everybody in this environment give it, having an opportunity to bounce off each other and off this kind of uh, stuffy high society uh, place. And it, it's kind of a, sh- a, it's a set piece, literally, for the episode. But it also gives them each 
a moment to really shine at their comedic skills. Yeah. Uh, they also bring along um, Tina, who has been um, Doug's assistant, I think they say for years in the yes. pilot, um, uh, who is the only black character of the central cast, I think, um, uh, played by Adara Victor. And she seems great, too. Um, she has a few really strong comedic moments in the pilot. There was a little less of her in the second episode, but I'm excited to see where they take that. Yeah, and she did have some great moments in the pilot that also were both funny and uh, helped expose Joyce's white privilege. I think also the way that um, Shelley acts as a counterpart that Joyce can open up to, Tina almost is Doug's consigliere. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the, the person he's going to for um, guidance on not only how to run his business, but um, how to navigate this new uh, professional relationship with Joyce. So yeah, I, I hope that they continue to, to give her some, some juicy moments too. Yeah. And, and in general, it's a solid lineup of characters. I am excited to see each one of them in a scene. And, and I think as they kind of give them their B stories and C stories, there's not a single one of them that I w am not enthused about. I, I'm looking forward to them, uh, each getting more screen time. And I hope they all do. I, I do hope that the show has that range, which is tricky for a comedy because the runtime, again, is tight. And one of the, the great things about this show is it is that solid, snappy 30 minutes, which gives it that uh, quippy vibe, that kind of Sorkin speed in some regards, uh, but also reminds me of, you know, um, shows like Weeds, where they pack... A, a solid ensemble with a, a you know very specific main character in this case we have like two really specific main characters but they have a, so a really great ensemble around them you know classic weeds uh, w was a great ensemble comedy that crammed mm. great uh, dynamics into 30 minute episodes maybe not enough b stories with the other characters uh, so I, 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 that's a challenge, I think, in a, a short format like this. But they've given me that glimmer. They, they gave, uh, they've given Bambi definitely a lot of, uh, let's say, opportunity to suggest that there's more story there for Bambi. And I hope they do the same with Tina and Richie. Yeah, me too. The other show that really came to mind for me was um, Mrs. America. Did you watch that? Yes. Yeah, the, it, I think it was FX on Hulu Yeah, with Kate Blanchett. Just in the fact that we have this like 1970s backdrop, feminist history, though uh, with some slight, I think the Sarah Paulson character was fictionalized, um, though most of the characters on that were the historical figures, um, but just, you know, similar subject matter, similar time. And I thought that show was also really great. Um, yeah, I actually loved that show. A tonally too. different in some ways, because it is a bit more of a, it's a bit more of a drama. It's, yeah, it's funny, but it is a, a tale about a craven person in some ways, somebody who is really power hungry. And this is much more a story about an idealist. I think, yeah, I think that's well said. That does remind me of one of the things that I, I said I love about uh, shows when you were talking about Maisel, and I love it about both Mrs. America and Minx, which is that inter that intersection between the fiction and the history, the real history, mm -hmm. and the thing that turns the pilot. The pilot, it looks like actually the magazine's not going to happen. Joyce is too stuck in her ways. Uh, Doug is trying to make it work, but Joyce storms out, essentially, and says that this is compromising her vision too much to turn the matriarchy awakens into a, a 
smut rag is, you know, offensive to her. And then Cosmo magazine, in a real piece of history, has a nude male centerfold of the one and only Burt Reynolds. And that is something that really <laughs> happened and was a, an iconic pop culture moment. And to anchor the pilot around that, they both see that happen. And when Joyce sees that happen, Joyce doesn't believe that there are, she doesn't think that women want that. She only thinks of women as she thinks of herself and her uh, vision of femininity. And she doesn't understand that there's a whole uh, diverse world of women around her. And some of them, many of them, do want to see that centerfold and are excited by it. Or maybe they want to laugh at it. Or maybe they want to take it home and do dirty things with it. And she is opening her eyes to that for the first time. And it is a real piece of history that does it for her. And then that brings them back together and makes the magazine a reality with the nice twist of she embraces the centerfold now and has a really smart idea for the centerfold and gets to contribute but still, you know, see a new version of her vision. And that's how the magazine gets a new name. And that's how we get a a very hot centerfold photo shoot of a man dressed as a construction worker being catcalled by women, which is her twist on it. But it is still a, a full frontal, very uh, centerfoldy image, which I thought was the perfect kind of uh, button on that pilot. That was that. That was when I was already having a blast, and I was already going to watch the next episode. But when they tied it together like that, I went, "This is smart." This is this yeah. understands the characters and how you turn them in a way that makes the whole episode feel like, oh, of course, of course, this is what it was all building to. Yeah. And there was a, a clever callback with um, so the final centerfold photo shoot is inspired by street harassment that Joyce has been experiencing from uh, some construction workers. Yes. So it, it's really, it's just a very well-constructed pilot. And uh, and I it's think got a lot of dicks in it. It's got so many penises. I, I'm sure they're breaking records. I mean, HBO has a lot of a penises. A lot of penises. I was going to say, it's the most penises I've seen in a pilot since the pilot of Euphoria. With the difference mm-hmm. being the pilot of Euphoria, you're, they're, they're supposedly high school students. And I found mm-hmm. that so uncomfortable as a viewer because obviously the actors are not high school students. But the idea that, yes, and now we're in the locker room and here's all these penises. And of course, you know, to, to play devil's advocate there, there's been dozens and hundreds of movies and films where we've had all the cheerleaders in the locker room. And, and so it turnabout is only fair play in some ways. But the difference difference here is you can if you would like to enjoy seeing a bunch of penises whether that is a a sexual gratification or a giggling as jake johnson i think would put it uh he Mm -hmm. he has an uh, an interview in vulture that will include in the uh or it might be the cut it's a new york magazine they're all they're all new york magazine we'll include that link in the show notes he he is a a, an enthusiastic laugher at penises and uh th- there's something to be said for that it, it the show lets you view the penises however you want to view the penises and that is fun in a way that is exactly what the point of the magazine also is so it, it is thematically appropriate and also again it's kind of like wow i don't know the last time i saw so many penises in such a rapid fire succession 
No. Yeah, it's it's wild. And um, but, you know, when we think of a show like Game of Thrones and, you know, the fact that uh, nude women were basically set pieces on that show, you know, it's it feels like a, a bit of um, poetic justice. I, I think the show seems um, committed to having the female gaze as part of its structure itself. It's nice as a as a piece of politics, but it's also nice that it really just suits their content. Yeah, yeah. And and there is the full promise that we will see more, though I doubt not quite in the same montage uh, that we got in the pilot. The pilot comes out of the gate with it. And, uh, I, you know, obviously they're going to continue to do it. The female gaze is baked into the show, like you said. But there is something to be said for they come out swinging in more <laughs> ways than one. They certainly do. Yeah, I, I think it's a very successful pilot. I'm definitely going to keep watching. Um, I think that they're also adding in an arc of like Joyce's sexual awakening yes. um, that picks up more in the second episode. Um, curious to see where that goes. It'll be interesting to me how they how much the show balances their personal lives and their professional lives. And I hope it continues to lean toward the professional world because I find myself really interested in the magazine itself. Yeah, me, me too. And certainly the uh, preview of coming this season on Minx. They they did a two-episode drop for the premiere, and then they ended that with a, a trailer for the rest of the season. And at least the tone of the trailer is there's going to be a lot of drama and hijinks around the magazine itself, uh, from protests to what looks like a magazine burning event to something involving the mob. It, it, it certainly looks like that is the direction the show is primarily focused on. And I agree. I think that's the right direction because that's the that's the uh, the dynamic where we get to see this great cast and these ideas, again, these ideas of like, you have to compromise your vision to get it into the world. There is something really true about that. And mm. that's exciting to see on its own, let alone in such a fun, uh, spicy package. You know what I mean? Every way to describe this show is a double entendre. Uh -huh. There's just no getting around it. Yep. It, that's that's going to be your experience once you watch Minx on HBO Max. And if you do, please let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you can, uh, of yeah. course, email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at I am Chris Barlow. Diane is at Diane Nora, Diane with two N's. And yeah, let us know. We, we, we are having a blast with it. And uh, we look forward to revisiting it when we revisit some more shows later to let you know how the season's developing. But if you check it out, give us your thoughts. If you have a question or some feedback or an idea for a show we should watch, let us know about that as well. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, Diane. I, I'm speechless. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Oh, see, right on the mouth. I can't. No, we have to stop. It's too many. It's too many. We're just going to we're gonna sit in utter silence and avoid any more double entendres until you see us next time, dear listener, on this uh, action-packed podcast called Streamageddon. Streamageddon.